Welcome to a special episode of Horrible Friends. This is called Condensed Spoop. It's a shorter, more intimate episode, unlike our usual ones where, you know, we're about an hour and a half of going real deep into a movie. This is going to be more of a show where we'll talk about something current, like a, a new movie that's out, or what's going on in the horror genre today, and things of that nature. And we're just trying it out, something new. And uh, we'll see just how it goes. So starting off, I'm Chris. I'm Mike. And this week we have a special guest, Mr. Colin Swayze. Hi, everybody. So this is usually, this is going to be the goal with this show. Uh, We'll occasionally have a guest on, someone, if we're, especially a topic that this person's interested in and they want to talk about it. So this week we are going to cover part one of the Fear Street trilogy. Fear Street, 1994. Now, what's going to be different here than our usual show, we're going to really kind of skip the summary, but we are going to talk about the director. We're going to talk about the cast a little bit and mainly just kind of pick out little points in the movie that we all enjoyed and really just give our two cents about the film as a whole and uh, do it that way. And, you know, hopefully you guys enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, so this trilogy was directed by lee janiak who anyone who's listened to the show she directed honeymoon mike do you remember that great movie i don't listen to this show (laughs) i listen to the show and i remember the episode honeymoon unlike mike honeymoon was a good movie it had uh what's her face you grit from yeah game of thrones yeah you know nothing mike i i've been told that before (laughs) um but uh i don't know if you guys knew that this was actually uh books that were written by rl stein okay i'm gonna stop there who would not know who rl stein is no i mean that these were based on books i'm saying who would not know that fear street was rl stein i mean most people know rl stein is the goosebumps books but the fear street was his like teen series see i actually didn't know i really only knew that all I knew of R.L. Stein was Goosebumps. I didn't know he did anything else, really. Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat as Chris. Like, I saw that they were direct, like, that R.L. Stein made the story and that they were going to be coming out on Netflix. And then that was like, excited because I read the Goosebumps books. But I did not originally know that Fear Street was a book series until this actually came out. And I, you know, did a little research about it. Okay, because I was like a real big Goosebumps kid. I read most of the books. My favorites were those like choose your own adventure where you like half turn to a page just to make sure you don't die before you commit to it. I played the Goosebumps games with the Escape from Harlan game was like pretty sweet. Yeah, Goosebumps all day. Yeah, when I was a kid, I had a I had a pretty good obsession with uh, the Goosebumps books, but I was one of those kids that didn't like to read. So like my mom would read the Goosebumps books to me, and then, like, I tried to read some of them, and I read a couple. Uh, and I read another book that he wrote. Uh, if I can remember what it is, I'll mention it later. But um, for the most part, my mom used reading as a punishment, and then she took the Goosebumps books away because she knew I wanted to read those. So so she punished you from your punishment. <laughs> Readings for nerds! Basically. 
See, most of us at Horrible Friends don't know how to read. Oh, I make a comment about people not being able to read in this fucking movie. So <laughs> there's, there's a fucking comment in there. I made a bulletin for it and everything. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, as we mentioned, this is the first part of the Fear Street trilogy, 1994. And really within the first 10 minutes of this movie, they they, they want you to know that this takes place in the 90s. I would say it's within the first like 30 seconds because they immediately <laughs> hit you with the uh, 90s music with uh, Nine-Inch Nails closer, closer. That's right. Yeah, they start off with Nine-Inch Nails. And then once we get to D in high school, we get like Machine Head from Bush and like two other 90s songs, like all within a 30 second span. Dude, this first movie has the best soundtrack ever. I love almost every song on this soundtrack. And I've made a point <laughs> in my notes to talk about all the songs I loved in this fucking soundtrack. I just can't imagine what the music licensing budget was for this movie because every song that they used was like a hit from the 90s. And even the second movie, it was all 70s hits because it's based in the 70s. And just to license all that music, that's what Netflix money can do. Because these were all... This whole trilogy was uh, Netflix original. Yeah, and if uh, anyone listening hasn't seen these movies yet, uh, go ahead and hop on Netflix and check them out. Because there's, uh, I, I would say the consensus uh, so far is that we, I think all three of us enjoy these movies. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And if uh, you don't have Netflix, just uh, send me a DM. I'll shoot out Chris's password to you. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Just giving out my personal information, Mike. That's really cool. Um uh, but yeah, uh, but mainly this episode we're just going to talk about uh, 1994, and you no, know, we'll we're, we're going to hit the other ones uh, at some point soon. So yeah, um, so what do you guys want to start talking about first? Uh, do you just want to kind of just pick off like just pick at little things in the beginning, or I don't want to pick off how they picked off Maya Hawk in the first ten minutes of the movie. I was not expecting it. I was like, oh shit, yeah, Maya Hawk's in this. All right, I, I guess was I'm... very sad. I was like, all right, she's going to be our main character. She's going to be badass. So, like, some of the advertisements like, Maya Hawk. And I was like, sweet. She was, like, pretty great in Stranger Things. And I'd like to see more of her. But she got the Drew Barrymore treatment. Was killed immediately because she was, like, one of the better known names in this movie. She's the first name in the opening credits. And she dies. <laughs> yeah. Like, almost right Shortly after, the, after opening. the opening credits. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, fuck. I'm like, all right, so this is going to be one of those movies that I, I probably shouldn't like anybody because that means they're probably going to die. And the other thing I like about this movie is how it's more set to like the 90s slasher genre. When all these like killers and monsters that you see throughout the movie are all like cursed ghost spirits that carry a different vibe. Like the one from the 70s was like the Jason stand in. The one that we have, like the skull face mask was like the scream ghost face stand in. So all these the killers and ghosts fit that certain archetype from classic horror movies. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, kind of loosely, but I would say the one, what was it, uh, Ruby? I think it was. Was it Ruby? The one who was like always like humming. Oh, the hot one? Yeah, yes. the hot one. The hot I, one, yeah. <laughs> yes, the hot one. I was, I kind of likened her a bit like towards kind of like freddy 
Kruger, but mainly in the sense that, like, you know, you only knew she was coming because you just faintly heard, you know, her humming or singing in the back. Kind of like how in the nightmare movies you always hear, like, the one, two, Freddy's coming for you. Yeah, you know she's, I mean? and she's got knives. Freddy had knives. Yeah, Freddy had knives. He had several, at least five. So the first killer that we see is, um, they call him the Skull Mask Killer, but his real name is Ryan Torres. And then there's Ruby uh, Lane. She's from 1965. Then there's Nightwing, who is the guy with the axe. He's from 1978. Harry Rooker, who's from 1950. Um, Humpty Dumpty Killer from 1935. I forgot about that one. From 1922 is Billy Barker. Uh, that, was a, that was a little kid, right? Yeah, that's the little kid. From 904 is Grifter. That's the dude with the weird, like, plague doctor mask. Yeah. Um, and then from 1666 is Cyrus Miller, the pastor. So those are all of our killers besides, you know, the witch, Seraphir. So creepiest killer was definitely the kid with the bat. Oh, yeah, because especially when it first talked about it and they cut, it just like showed him like beating his mom in the head with a bat like while she was in bed. Violently, violently beating his mother. Oh, yeah, <laughs> crazy. Um. So real, uh, before we get further into like the different kills or any of the main characters, uh, so the main gist of this movie is that there's these two towns in the same area, like you know, there's was it, uh, Sunnyvale and Shadyside, and the big main thing is that like Shadyside is like the fucked up town, countless murder, drug dealers, you know, all that, and Sunnyvale is the you know very bright and preppy just affluential area and it's always uh like especially with like the sports team like we we kind of start off with like the the football teams and it's just a huge rivalry between these two towns and the people of sunnyvale basically always just shitting on uh anyone from shady side because the town is just so fucked up now would you rather live in sunny side or shadyville shady side sunnyvale words are hard um, Words are I would, hard. <laughs> I would rather live in uh, in Shady Side. Honestly, same. Yeah, same. All it seems the people... more fun. Minus the minus the death, the more fun minus the death. Like Sunnyvale is the kind of town where like your neighbors would call a HOA on you because your grass was too tall. Shady Side <laughs> would be like there was a murder outside your house, and you just like peek out the curtains to see what's going on. And you're just like, oh, another Thursday. Now, is it Thursday again? It's like it's murder day because somebody forgot to move their car. <laughs> Honestly, I kind of live in the New Jersey, like one of the New Jersey versions of Shady, Shady Side now, so I'm okay with that. Um, like all the people in Sunnyvale, though, they're all dicks. Like every single one of them are, are just stuck up, and it's it's obnoxious how much, like. It's obnoxious how much that they they love the smell of like their own farts. Like that's how stuck up they are. <laughs> like for, like if you get that reference, thank you. But that's how I feel about them. I hate them. All right, so I guess we'll um, just cut. We'll just uh, do a quick uh, review of like our our main characters, if you will. Uh, what well, we had uh, Maya Hawk, who was uh, what was her name? Heather. Heather. Yes, Heather, who got as Mike said, Drew Barrymore very quickly. Yeah. And that's when we end up meeting um, our actual main character, uh, Dina, 
her brother Josh, uh, also uh, Dina's, at least in the start of the movie, her ex-girlfriend, Sam, and then Dina's two friends, Kate and... Kate and... Simon. Kate and Simon. Who... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Quick thing, Dina's the worst. She's very annoying. (laughs) And I... Throughout... Because she was like the main focus of the first movie and the third movie. By the third movie, I just couldn't stand her anymore because she was super annoying. Okay? Kate, best character in the movie. Second being Simon. The two drug dealing, like, lackeys. Because they're actually funny. They got, like, good chemistry with each other and good chemistry with the rest of the cast. But, like, Dina just, like, having some kind of emo fit because her ex-girlfriend moved out of her shitty town to the like the Sunnyvale, like the good town. And she doesn't want to associate with her anymore. And Well, and also, uh, of course, like, her ex-girlfriend leaves her and, you know, ends up dating, uh, you know, alpha douche of uh sunnyvale she's trying to upgrade her situation she doesn't want to be associated with some shady side <laughs> trash anymore because she got into the good town <laughs> she got into the good town <laughs> oh trust me like if i get onto like a major podcast i'm gonna ditch this shady side podcast and go to my sunnyvale <laughs> wow wow see where your loyalties lie mike Oof. that's all right mike i'll take your spot you, you and your soup can go to another podcast, <laughs> but like at I don't I don't hate Dina, but she's not my favorite. She's like one of those characters that I just didn't really care about. But you're absolutely right. Like the first time that you see her in the movie, I literally have a note here that just says emo girl writing depressing letter to X while listening to emo music. It feels like high school again. <laughs> I think I loved like just that uh, scene, that first scene, like in the high school. Besides, like the '90s music playing, where you know the movie's just like, "Hey, do you see that we're in the '90s?" Yeah, yeah. And she's walking through high school. We got all this '90s music playing. Hey, see all the kids in their denim jackets? It's the '90s. It's like, yeah, I know. I, I I get it. I get. I get. We're in the '90s. Please stop beating me over the head with it. And the other thing I I did like about it was how like for the first like. 20 minutes they they do obscure that this was a lesbian relationship because they act like oh she's writing to her ex-boyfriend and they broke up and now she's all sad and lonely and i mean i think even like for the time period the 90s were a lot less accepting than they are now oh yeah it was just cool to see how it was a lesbian relationship in a movie uh but uh one thing i did like um as 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 you have here in your notes that like Besides that, it doesn't like you don't immediately find out that they're a lesbian couple, but that there is that like Sam has that, you know, internal struggle of especially it being the 90s. And like you said, Mike, like definitely wasn't like as accepted as it is now. And, you know, she's really struggling with it. Like she's trying to push those feelings she has like away. Like, no, that's. I, that, yeah, no, no, I, that's that's definitely not who I am. I, I, I'm just going to be, at least as she perceived, just a normal person living in, you know, douchebagville. Now, wasn't it like Sam's parents, who's Dina's ex, like, their parents didn't care that their daughter was gay. They just thought Dina was trash. No, they kind of cared. Okay. No, yeah, I, I I took it as like her mom, like, really cared and was not a Her mom is fan of it. super homophobic. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
but also, uh, I forgot to mention like a little extra backstory about like these towns. There's this whole the what ends up kind of being like the premise of this whole trilogy is that there's this legend around Shady Side that um, the reason that there's always just so much murder and just horrible things happening is that there was like a curse put on the entire town back in the early 1600s by a witch named Sarah fear. And that's more or less what anyone really knows about it. And, you know, it's mainly like, like people, uh, at least I don't think Dina voices, uh, that she really believes in it, but no, I think she mentions it or no, I think it's her brother who, uh, I think more or less kind of believes in, uh, all that. Yeah. Josh is the, uh, it, Josh is my favorite. I love Josh. Let me just right, so start up with that. Um, but he's like, he's the nerd. You know, he looks into like the the urban legends of the town, and he's like found all these connections with like the murders and how like they all kind of have the same, um, have like similar things that happened. Like, oh, the person was fine, and then they just went crazy and started killing people. Um, my dude also has the best taste in music. Just saying. Like yeah, the, wasn't he uh, listening to like Iron Maiden in the basement? yeah the first time we see him he's listening to Fear the, like Fear of the Dark and I was like yes this kid me and this kid can vibe but like I like this kid <laughs> um yeah so uh so where do you want to go from here um well we talked about uh some background with the town and a little bit of kind of what the story is um I just didn't like the brother. Oh, you didn't like Josh at all? No, just because he seemed like he was too much of a plot device for exposition. And he was one of those like young kid characters who talks way more intelligently than kids do in real life. So I just, I don't know. It just seemed like... So, so you just you just think his his character is mainly used as just uh, to, to like move the plot along and explain to like how all these ghost killers people are seeing are the people that went crazy and shady side and went on killing sprees, and that's why the town is cursed. And to be fair, though, his competition for intelligence weren't wasn't there wasn't much. I mean, Dina is just sad and depressing doesn't want to talk about her feelings or pushes everybody away because she doesn't want to talk about them. Sam won't come out of the closet. She's too busy in there cleaning with Slim Shady to come out. And uh, don't, don't you be talking bad about Kate. No, I'm going to talk about Kate. Kate, Kate and Simon are drug dealers. Kate's Kate basically an, runs a sweatshop out of the houses that she babysits. Like, Kate is an entrepreneur. She is a <laughs> self-made woman who wants to better herself. And if she just has to get some... Uh, Low cost labor, I'll call it. Mike, then, Mike, uh, Mike, it was child labor. It's a can, sweatshop. It was child I mean, labor. Just because she has children working for her, that does not automatically make it child labor. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the the requirement for child labor and is for them to be children and not getting paid. Yeah, that too. I did like the comment she had of like, uh, like she tells the two girls like, uh, like they're uh, what they're like, um, they're separating pills for her into like different bottles and bags and stuff. And she said, she just looks up, says, uh, so don't eat any of these or you'll die. And I love that the kids had like no reaction. They're just kind of like, okay. And then like her her boyfriend Simon is a fucking tool. 
God, he's dumb. He's so dumb. Oh, yeah, he's a huge tool. I thought he was funny. Well, there was... Yeah, he's, no, I agree with you. He's he, funny. He seemed happy to... He just seemed happy to be there, having a good time, and just enjoying the moment. You know why he was enjoying the moment, Mike? Because he, he was, was on high. drugs. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, the way the rest of the story of the movie ends up going is... Um, our killer in the beginning, Ryan, um, he ends kind of ends up coming back uh, unexpectedly. Obviously, um, after the like football, uh, no, it was like a ceremony before the football game. After uh, Heather was killed, um, all the kids that uh, on from a uh, shady side are on the bus back home, and Sam and her douchey new boyfriend like followed the bus, and <laughs> some hijinks ensued. I'll go with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, really got to pay attention to that bloody nose when you're about to pour a whole container of Gatorade out on a car. Yeah, and uh, instead of pouring the Gatorade, just uh, through the whole thing. Yeah, just yeet. <laughs> and that ended up causing them to crash, and there's this whole big to-do with that, and Sam goes to the hospital, and uh, oh, there's a character I forgot to bring up and mention. Uh our, our uh, Sheriff Good, the man who uh, tried to save Heather in the beginning, uh, who yes, yes, me and Jackie, uh, me and Jackie referred to him uh, the entire series as uh, Officer Good and Sexy. Yeah, I'm uh, like, uh, I'm so sad that when I watched this movie that I didn't pick up that he was not good, <laughs> that his last name was a pun on purpose. Oh yeah, but uh, um, we'll, we'll 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 get to that uh, eventually down the road. But uh, yeah, no, it, it, the it, it is kind of out there before you really know it. You thought he was sexy. I mean, not necessarily, but we just like to call him Officer Good. I just now I know your type, Chris. Like, don't kink shame. <laughs> I'm not kink shaming. I just okay. thought it was, I just thought it was Ryan from the Office. Oh my, that is also what we thought. It was his first time we saw his face, I was like, oh. Look, Ryan from the office. Good for him. Get into horror movie. And then when they finally saw his face, I was like, you know, I don't I don't think BJ Novak is that old like old unless for some reason after the office, you know, uh, age kind of hit him in the face really hard. And that's why I did a quick, you know, IMDB search. I was like, okay, no, it's not Ryan from the office, and I'm a little upset about it. I'd say like overall this movie like hits all the uh the, like the 90s slasher plot points. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it, it was fun. It had a lot of, a lot of solid kills, a lot of solid gore. Uh, Mike's favorite character, I, which I, Kate, I think she had the most gruesome death of the entire movie. She did. I thought, like, yeah, when I saw this with the trilogy, I'm like, okay, so this, I didn't know it was going to be a year thing where it's like the '90s and '70s and the olden times, 1600s. I was like, so Kate's gonna obviously she's gonna live. Same with uh, Simon. They're like the funniest two. They're the funniest couple. They're going to be the heroes. And then Kate dies, sadly, and gets put <laughs> into a bread maker and gets all kinds of gooped up. And Ooh. it was not fun because I thought she was going to get saved at the last minute, but she wasn't. And she died. And I was sad. She got hit with the murder time. Yeah. I honestly thought, like, you know, it was going to be that kind of story where all your characters 
you know, lived at the end. Um, like, you know, maybe one person would die, but you think they'd all be fine. And it was almost like, oh, my God, like everyone's going to die, aren't they? Holy shit. With a, with a movie like this and the way that it's written with them having so many killers that can come back from the dead, like it would almost it would have made the movie worse if too many people lived. Yeah, no, that's Be- fair. Because like we, you know, like in the beginning when uh, Heather is running from um, Brian, she passes by like three dead bodies that were killed off camera. And oh, yeah, like, no, that's right. It's like, okay, cool. There's those are dead bodies. Clearly, this guy, you know, was a little busy before he got here, um, which really doesn't line up with anything. But we're not going to talk about that. And then, uh, like, if they didn't kill off some other characters that were in the story, like some side characters, or at least a main character, then I don't feel like the movie would have been as good. It wouldn't have been as much of a slasher movie as it would have been like, oh, no, this guy's crazy. We got to get rid of him. No, that's fair. So, as much as Dina was established as the main character, I would trade 100 Dinas for one Kate. <laughs> Any day of the week. I wouldn't trade half a Kate and half a Simon for a single Dina. Really? Wow. Some, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed all the characters. I, I, I agree with both of you on certain parts. Like, yeah, Dina annoyed me at times. I did like Kate and Simon, but they were definitely there just for occasional comic relief josh was the a good exposition dump every now and then but i enjoyed it and like you said mike a lot of good like 90s slasher tropes in this movie overall i i really enjoyed it i it, it was a lot of fun um i'm looking forward to when we talk about uh the second one because that was my favorite out of all three. Oh yeah absolutely yeah but no i'm i'm just picking on mike i i i do like um i do like simon and I do like Kate. It's just that they're not, they weren't my favorites. Like I, I prefer Josh. I think Josh is cool. Um, and I like more characters in the second one than I do in the first one. So really out of the first one, the only really characters I liked, well, the one's dead. And then the other one is Josh. So one's dead and the other is Josh. <laughs> um, I would say like one thing I, I kind of wasn't really expecting with these movies is that, um, which we'll, we'll talk a little more once we get to the, the uh, part two and part three, but I wasn't really expecting the the story of this movie to really carry on through the other parts. Like when I first saw, because I didn't read the books, I knew no, nothing about the books and I just saw like, all right, part one, 1994, and it's like, oh, 1978, 1666. All right, well, clearly these are all three separate stories in the same kind of universe. Uh, but I expected it to be a lot different. I wasn't really expecting them all to kind of blend together. You know, they did a really good job at making each movie feel like a different kind of slasher movie, like Mike was saying, but also having like a supernatural twist to it. That wasn't too much, but the story all, it stayed coherent. It stayed together. It was all, it lined up very well. So it was, it was written very well, which he's had plenty of experience writing stories. And then the way that they were able to put it onto the screen fit very well. Yeah, no, it was a very good job. Um, anything else you guys want to talk about the movie? Any other like key points or like favorite moments or anything like that? Oh, like just basics just to like blow through like the plot points was uh, basically. So Sarah fear is a witch. She's coming after Sam because Sam bled on her grave. 
So throughout the whole movie, all these ghost creatures are coming after him. And uh, that's why the killers keep coming back, even if they do dispatch of them. And it just didn't seem like a lot of the time it made sense because they're after Sam. But then you have do have collateral damage at the hospital, for instance, with the nurse who is kind of like curt with everybody saying, oh, well, you can't see your friend because you're not family and visiting hours are over. Yeah. But yeah, it, you're right. It did seem like um, like it was collateral damage, but like most of the time it just seemed like, oh yeah, they're just after Sam. But yet, that the everyone else was fair game still. Like whether or not they were mainly after Sam, anybody was fair game. Anybody was gonna get killed. Do you know how you avoid that? You give up Sam. <laughs> oh, I know. A hundred percent. This year, you would have given up Sam immediately. Oh, I don't want to die. <laughs> you look for Sam. Oh. Yeah. Let me go find it for you. They're like, hey, Sam, uh, let me just like show you this back room. It's it's going to be super safe and uh, nothing's going to hurt you in there. They'll be saying to like, the killers, okay, she's in here. Go get her. <laughs> here comes my for- first point of picking on Mike, which I think is why you like Kate so much is because you and Kate are the damn same person because you both would sacrifice Sam. I even put in here, Kate wants to sacrifice Sam. Sounds like something Mike would do. Are you telling me you would not sacrifice somebody to save yourself? I would not. No, I would not sacrifice one really? of my friends to save myself. Really? No. Yes, okay. really. Okay. That's because Swayze's a true bro. I have had this discussion with Chris when we were watching another horror movie. And I said, the last thing you'll see as your eyes close, as you go unconscious, is me running full speed at a motherfucker. Because I will, <laughs> I will defend my friends. That's just who I am. That's right. That was uh, that uh, horror game we were watching Markiplier play where like, uh, you know, she sees the the creepy guy in the hotel, like chloroforming and like knocking out her friends. He just said, as a, Chris, as you're di- passing out from that chloroform, you're just going to see the last image is going to be me sprinting and just yelling. Yeah! And as I'm passing out, just, oh, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> Man, I just... It's what I do, man. Like, I don't, I like to, I, I stick up for my friends. I'm not, I'm going down swinging either way. That yeah. just means I'm a survivor. It's the eye of the tiger. It's the thrill of the fight. <laughs> it's the thrill of the fight. You can have your thrill of a fight. I'll have my eye of the tiger as I'm running away, pointing to you saying, he's over here. He's over here. <laughs> Oh, I already know you would do that because I've played video games with you and watched you leave as I go, Mike, I need help. You're like, yeah, I'll be there in a second. Go in the opposite direction. <laughs> He's over there. He's over there. Where's there? There. All right. Well, um, if that's uh, all you guys got for this uh, first part, yeah, you ready to wrap it up? Uh, I want one more side joke. <laughs> go ahead. One more side joke. Mike, did you realize where Josh was standing when he got attacked inside of the supermarket. Do you know where he was? I don't know. He was in the soup aisle next to the condensed soup. Lots mm-hmm. of cannibals all, all, all around him. Campbell's all around cannibals him. Cannibals around yeah. him. Lots of cannibals. <laughs> lots of lots of Campbell's soup all around him. I was like, oh, that's Mike's favorite aisle. He, he chose not to use the soup as a weapon, which is his mistake. Because soup <laughs> is both... A sustenance and a deadly weapon. 
No, especially if you pick up one of those cans of like the you know rich and hearty soup. Like that's some thick, heavy soup. Or that chunky, do some damage. That chunky soup will get you. Yeah. <laughs> also, like, remember how Mike was like, "Oh, Josh is just kind of he you know, shows up, he gives everybody information, and then you know that's that's his only job." So if that's his only job, how come this motherfucker didn't read the article talking about where like it's they they find out that C. Berman survived. Um, by dying and then being brought back to life and sam just read the article was like guys i figured it out i mean he can't give all the exposition i'm just know? saying he's, i think he's, it's just, he's... a lot of it was just giving sam something to do because a lot of this movie she was kind of like a backseat character where she then especially when she gets possessed at the end because then she's like kind of just basically useless yeah and she's pretty that, much just kind of there and this is when point. this is when uh the other two and Kate and some want to give her up. It's like, listen, this girl's possessed and they're trying to kill her. And why uh, she we, wasn't a, she wasn't possessed until gonna, later. Why are we going to risk our lives to save this girl? And it always happens in movies. They try to do noble things like we won't sacrifice one of our own to save all of us. And then it winds up. Everybody dies except the one they weren't willing to sacrifice. So I am the most noble person here, willing to sacrifice one life to save multiple. So I am the noble one. I am the correct one. And I should be being <laughs> congratulated for that. Mike, you're getting uh, you're getting very defensive there, bud. Yeah. Yeah, um, also, also, yeah, um, Sam wasn't possessed until after Kate and Simon were already dead. Hey, that's even more of a reason to sacrifice her when she, <laughs> but she's, but she's not possessed. That's more yeah, of a reason because she's a threat when she's possessed. She was trying to kill them all. So not only that, you're risking your life to save a possessed person. Well, again, she wasn't, uh, she wasn't possessed until the end of the movie after all the events of them trying to like save her and everything. Like but even, she wasn't possessed even after then that. you're not trying to give her up even when she is possessed and actively trying to kill you. And then, and then Kate, who I, this is the her one downfall, is she was like, oh yeah, you're so noble, uh, Josh. And then she hooks up with Josh in the bathroom. This is a child that she's hooking up with. You're the one that likes her. I think, that, I think they're all like more or less children. I would say they're all probably around like the 16, 17 range. I was going to say, yeah, it doesn't say their age, but they're all going to the same high school. Most likely Josh is just like a grade or two below them. And... I don't know about you, but I dated people that were older than me in high school. It happens. Bottom line, Kate forever. Sam's garbage. She should have been sacrificed to save everybody's life. So at the end of the movie, we have uh, the remaining survivors being uh, Josh and Dina. They go make their way to C. Berman's house. C. Berman was the survivor of the 19... Was it 76? 78. 78 incident that happened where somebody else went crazy and went on a murdering spree and they figure that she's the only one with answers because she was the lone survivor of the last attack and uh this is britta from community she was like really good in this role she was kind of like the very neurotic paranoid woman and she kind of explains to them what's going on yeah she reminded me of uh like Jimmy Lee Curtis in like the most recent Halloween movie. Yeah, it's more of a uh, something to tie the current like goings on to the past and like bridge that gap. I really like how they did that. 
because she's pretty much like the anchor to the second movie and it brings every like all the explanation onto what's going on why it's happening into the past of what's gone on before so i like how they did do that yeah and um especially since like i said i didn't really at first realize that these were all connected so with her showing up i was like oh okay so this is how we're we're getting into 1978 that because i just thought like when sam stabbed dina after she was possessed i was like oh okay this, this shit's just gonna end like that and then we're not really gonna get any conclusion to this like 1994 story and we're just gonna hop back to 1978 all right what the fuck the uh when they brought her character into it gave me um uh i think it's the second final destination movie where they go to visit the girl that survived from the first one and like she's in an insane asylum by her own free will and it's just in a padded room where nothing can hurt her and like all the articles are like taped up and stuff i was like it gave me that kind of vibe because like she had all these clocks everywhere and they went off at certain times to make sure that she was like, I, I don't, they never really explain what that's for. I'm sure they probably explain it in the books, but um, it gives you this, this feeling of like, she's always in almost like a, like a constant state of panic. Like she doesn't know what's going on. You can see that she's developed some type of like OCD because she locks the door like four times in a row um, when she's going to lock it. Um, but, uh, and she has the bestest dog. I love the dog. It's like Major Tom, bestest boy, the good oh, yeah. boy. Because yeah. even like at this point, C. Berman's pretty much like a hermit. You tell she doesn't go out much or at all because she knows she's like safe in her own house and nothing can come get her. The only kind of connection she still has to is uh, Sheriff Good because she knew Good when she was a child in the camp. Officer Good is actually. I'm sorry, Officer Good and Sexy. I'm, I won't Thank get you. that wrong again because that's your dream, man. Man, damn right, Officer Good and Sexy. It's Officer Good. Officer Good and Sexy. All right, well, um, with that, that wraps up uh, 1994. Uh, I guess we can do it a, a simpler way of like how we end the other episodes since this is some condensed spoop. Uh since Dan's not here, Mike, do you have a spoopy meter? I mean, I don't have a spoopy meter. This week, we don't have Dan to give his always straightforward and not convoluted or complex rating system where you have to like break out a paper and pencil to figure out how you could <laughs> divide 877, whatever happens out of <laughs> however many to find your rating. So I think. Swayze is going to give us our spoopy meter this week. So there, uh, there is a part in these movies where Josh talks about the Konami code, which is a famous cheat code. Um, if you're any type of gamer from the nineties, you know what the Konami code is and it's got 11 buttons in its sequence. So from a scale of one to 11 short, sweet and to the point. So for Dan's, Brady would have been like, uh, how many out of up, up, down, down, up, up, down, down, <laughs> but out of one to 11 spoopy wise, I would give this right in the middle, like a six, because it does have some like pretty tense parts. It's got all the horror tropes. It's got all the slasher tropes to it. It's got the killer always lurking in the background and being a ominous threat to you, but oh. Uh, 
like overall as a, a standalone movie, I would give it about the same. Uh, six, like when I first saw it, I would have given it higher than that because I was like, oh, this is really good. But then after watching the second one, like the second one became like better than the first one to me. So right about the same as Spoopy Wise, about six and a half, like seven out of 11. I did enjoy it and I would definitely recommend it. So I think for mine, um, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie, but it is definitely like a setup movie. There's a lot of background that goes into this movie, a lot of story plot that's developed to you know, connect to the other ones and make it so that it is a successful trilogy. Um, spoopy wise, uh, I'll probably give it like a five. Um, there was some suspenseful moments, a couple, you know, very small jump scares. Uh, good, good, good gore. Um, there's better ones later, but this one had some some good gore in it. And uh, as far as overall, um, I'll probably give it probably the same score, probably around a seven. Um, because once you see the other ones, it doesn't really hold up. But again, it's it's meant to open up to the rest of the movies. So um, probably a, a five for Spoopy and a seven overall. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. It had a lot of good tense moments. A lot of good just 90s slasher tropes. I, we've said it countless times before. And like I love that. Um, a lot of terrifying imagery, especially with Ruby Lane and the... Uh, the baseball kid, like all very well done. A lot of good gore, but definitely not like super scary. So I'll, I'll give it a same right around the middle. Give it a five for that. Um, and yeah, probably the same as you guys. I'm going to give it a solid seven out of the 11. It was really, it, it was good. And just like Mike said, I feel the same way. I enjoyed it. And then I watched the second part and that blew this one out of the water. And I do understand that this was, the setup for the whole thing for the trilogy. So in some instances with trilogies, the first one is good, but it's usually the second one that always is better and really elevates the material. Um, but yeah, it was good time and uh, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would. I think we're just going to call this first part here. Uh, I'd like to thank you guys for sticking around and listening to this, you know, slightly different episode than you're used to i hope you enjoyed it um do plan on coming back with uh the next two parts of this uh trilogy uh not sure when they'll come out if they're gonna all come out back to back but i I think we're just gonna have them kind of sprinkled in with the uh rest of our our usual setup um so uh you can always check us out on all of our social media like it's always been said before you know we're harpo friends on facebook we've got the instagram uh, I'm I'm still going to shout out our artwork from Connor McLeod, our music from Andy Cavanaugh, and of course Travis Kaiser with our editing. He always does such a great job with that, and we really appreciate everything he does. And uh, for that, uh, thanks for stopping by and having a horrible time. so (laughs) um favorite quote from the movie is from simon when he's explaining the drugs and how to take them and he's like so you take these ones and they're gonna make you feel real good right like you're fucking a unicorn
<laughs> he's like, you're going to take these ones. They're going to make you feel real sick. And then he's like, you got to wait five minutes. Wait five minutes. Exactly. And then take these ones and then you'll die. <laughs> I mean, that's how like, you know a true drug, a true drug user because he has specific instructions because, on how to take the drugs. Because he watched it happen to his brother. And then that's what he quotes. He goes, let's Timothy this bitch. Because he watched his brother overdose and then said, you know what? We're going to keep selling drugs. It's fine. 